Welcome to the Seven Hills Church Podcast with Marcus Mika. We're excited you're here listening as Pastor Marcus is about to bring an incredible teaching that is sure to inspire, motivate, and lift you up. You can visit us on our website at sevenhillschurch.tv or download our free Seven Hills Church app to watch or listen to more exclusive content. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed the message. Ezekiel chapter 22, Ezekiel 22, and a familiar verse says, The people of the land used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yeah, they have oppressed the stranger, primarily speaking of different races or people not of their particular faith, stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them who would make up the hedge Stand in the gap before the land, but I found none. The Bible here is saying God surveys the planet. His eyes are going to and fro, and he's looking for somebody specifically. And the language here is that will mend the hedge or stand in the gap. It's a shepherding term. The hedges would be stone walls that would be usually temporarily built to keep the sheep Uh, in any particular area, away from danger, cliffs, uh, maybe areas where they're heavy with predators. The sheep would need to be uh, herded, if you will, into areas of safety where the shepherds could look out for them. And because these stone walls were temporary, they could be easily pushed down. And so gaps would be found in the wall, and when there were gaps, the sheep would find their way out many times Uh, into dangerous areas, destroying, uh, end up being destructive to the sheep, many times even finding their way into the jaws or away from the safety of the shepherd into the jaws of a predator. And God's saying, image-wise, he's given us the image that what he's seeing is that when you look at the planet and the billions of people on this planet, there is a gap in the wall that is no longer, the wall has been broken down and as a result, people are finding their way into areas of destruction, areas where the predator, the enemy is destroying and wreaking havoc on lives. And God's saying, I can't seem to find anybody that understands the importance of rebuilding that hedge or at a minimum standing in that gap And waving, moving, guarding the masses from being herded into destruction. With that in mind, there's a story that comes from the Titanic. Again, an event we know very well today. Very familiar with the tragedy that occurred and the lives that were lost. But this particular story I had never heard. It's from Elizabeth Dowdell, one of the passengers that was aboard the Titanic. She was a nanny to Virginia, a six-year-old daughter of Mrs. Estelle Emanuel, a famous opera singer of that day. When the ship began to sink, Elizabeth knew that she had to get Virginia to the last lifeboat, lifeboat number 13. She was unable to get to the lifeboat because of the crowd of people that were there. And she, she began to explain that initially when the ship struck the iceberg, there was, there was almost like a... A curious apathy 
with people concerning getting onto the boat. And so many of them were launched partially full. But now, because the people begin to recognize that the ship was going down, and because all the lifeboats were launched partially full, a panic began to set in, and the screams were said to be so loud, you could not even hear a single voice. And in this article, Elizabeth describes how the Titanic stood 70 feet from sea level, and because they begin to lower this lifeboat, and Elizabeth was trying to push through the crowd to get to the boat, but was unable to get there. And she knew that if she did not get there, there would be no survival for her or the young six-year-old. That she, as she pushes through, a man noticed her carrying this young girl. And he took hold of another man's hand. And they begin to form a human ladder. One man grabbed another man's hand, another man's hand, and they begin to form a human ladder through the crowd from the deck of the ship across the span down 70 feet to the lifeboat. And the man said to the woman, hurry across to the lifeboat. And Elizabeth says she walked across a human ladder to the last lifeboat with Virginia in her arms. Elizabeth went on to say this was not an unusual event. She was quoted by saying, much should be said for the noble heroic acts of men. This, should, this image should remain in history, the remises of history forever. She said there would be social leaders, political leaders, those who were wealthy and financially well off would grasp the hands of the poor laborers and they would all, no matter what their status might be, they would sacrifice their lives, becoming human ladders for women and children to escape from perishing. When the Bible says that God's looking throughout the planet in our text, and he's looking for someone that will build the hedge, someone that will stand in the gap, the prophet is speaking from the standpoint of God. It's God that's speaking directly in this passage. And he's speaking directly concerning the condition of the world. He's talking about the wickedness. He's talking about the oppression. He's talking about the torment and how the torment and the racism and the prejudiceism and, and the prejudice and the and all these things are oppressing the poor and the needy and People are being robbed and stolen from and, and belittled because they're struggling or in a difficult place. And, and God is looking at it and he's saying, I'm looking for a man. I'm looking for a woman. He's not looking for an army. He's not looking for a warrior. He's not looking for a political leader. He's not looking for a preacher of a big church, a scholar or a theologian. But the Bible says God is looking for a man, a, a woman, some people that will join hands and become a human ladder and stand in the gap on behalf of all humanity. And the desire of God is that we would not tear down the hedge, is that we would build up the hedge, that which would protect people or keep people from running into the arms and the jaws of destruction. And the way God says that this happens is we join hands together and we stand in the gap. In order for this to happen, it takes great passion to to see needs and see gaps and see how, how 
the nature of the world that we live in is tearing down the walls and pushing people into destructive ways of life. It takes great passion. We know we're passionate about various things. Many people in here are passionate about sports. If you're watching the NBA finals right now, you're probably passionate about sports. People are passionate about politics. People are passionate about fame and fortune. People are passionate about self-destructive things. Have you ever noticed how passionate people are about destroying their own lives and destroying other people's lives? It's crazy the things people are passionate about. But I think the important question is, what is God passionate about? If you study the scriptures, you will find a consistent message that one thing above all others stands out and is clear that God, if he's passionate about one thing, it's the souls of mankind. He desires that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He desires that every man and woman would repent and receive the new life that he died for us to come to know. That he's reaching out to this world, not only through his death on the cross, but the Bible says he continues to reach out through his body in the earth, which is the church, the bride or the body of Christ in which he speaks, acts and fills all things with his presence. He's granted us as people, the ministry of reconciliation. We are the human ladders across which people come to Christ. Paul said to Timothy, make sure you're praying and interceding for people that are lost in a way to come from God. He was saying, Make sure that you're building the hedge, that you're restoring the hedge, that you're standing in the gap, that you're becoming a human ladder, that you're passionate about people that are on their way to destruction, standing in the way and saying, if you're gonna, going to go towards destruction, you're going to have to get through me to get there. I think churches are to stand in gaps. Churches are to find the gaps where people are finding their way out into a life of destruction. God wants us to be passionate about what he's passionate about. He wants us to worship him, but he also wants people that are willing to work for him. Concerning being passionate about souls, John Knox concerning Scotland said, give me Scotland or I die. Evan Roberts, who is known for leading one of the greatest revivals in Wales, actually the history of the world beginning in Wales, his prayer was, bend us, O Lord. In other words, we all have a bent. A bent, we bend towards things that serve ourselves. We bend towards things that, that just serve what we want in life. And Evan Roberts said, God, pray us that we would bend towards your heart, towards your mind concerning Humanity. In other words, their prayers were, God, let us not lose sight that we are human ladders. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It goes on to say the reason Jesus was sent was to save the world, not to condemn it. In other words, God, if he wanted to condemn the world, would have sent a condemner, but because he wanted to save the world, he sent a savior. That the heartbeat of God is seen in Jesus, is seen 
through the cross that God loved this world, that he loved humanity. He wasn't dying for the rocks or the plants or the animals or the oceans or the mountains. He was dying for the lost souls of humanity and he gave his life and the crucifixion and the cross and that bloodied savior is there to shine and speak and shout and preach to us that he loves us. And his passion is to be our passion. His heart is to be our heart. And that is to love and seek and save that which is lost. To do this, it takes more than an emphasis on great theology. It takes more than an emphasis on on protesting what's wrong with the world. Sitting around and nitpicking and fault finding. It takes more than big church buildings. It takes people that say, I'm not going to seek my own will, but I'm going to seek that which is God's will. And I want to do what I can do to say, God, if you're looking for someone that will stand in the gap, here I am, I'm here, I'll pray, I'll serve, I'll work, I'll invite, I'll do what's necessary, but I'm going to be someone that mends the hedges and stands in the gap, not someone that tears the hedges down. When you think about the condition of our world, you think about radical Islam, and you think about that religion, many people fear that religion. They don't fear every religion, but they fear that one specifically. And it's not the teaching that they fear, it's the zeal. We know that there is a group of people that would do absolutely anything for their religion. When you think about that radical side of Islam, I want you to think about that that religion is also growing in leaps and bounds. That it is the fastest growing religion in the world today. It's not easy. It's the most restrictive religion around. But yet, it's hard to not notice the passion. I'm not saying that I agree with that which they're passionate about, the hate and the murder and the violence. But what I am saying is if we were to put modern Christianity up against modern day Islam, one would seem on fire and the other would seem very cold. And when we think about the church today and we think about Christianity and we think about we're here sitting in this building, sitting in this room, what I want you to understand is what we need is not nice buildings. What we need is not good music. We have all that. We have all the stuff that we need to have, but the missing ingredient inside of Christianity today is passion, or maybe even a better way to say it is compassion for people that are scattered like sheep, the Bible says, without a shepherd. To win people, it takes Christians that are fervent in prayer. It takes people that are filled with compassion. It takes people that will say, I love you, but not just say it, I'll prove it with my actions. It takes churches that do more than offer lip service and say, we want to reach the world and say, you know what, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and personally be the one that invites and reaches someone else. Not will they do it, not will she do it, not will the preacher do it, but I'll do it. I'll stand in the gap and I'll do what I can do. One of the last things Jesus did on the cross was he reached out to the lost thief. One of the final things he did was offer forgiveness to those who crucified him, doing everything that he could to say, 
Don't go in the direction. Don't keep heading in that. On the cross, he's mending the hedge. He's standing in the gap. His prayer is that there would be laborers for the harvest. He said that the harvest would be plentiful, but there would be very few people that would do the work. His last commandment was to win the lost. Do you hear his call today? It should be a call from within. Someone did it for you. Now it's your job to do it for someone else. It's not a suggestion. He commands us, are you a soul winner? I'm not saying, do you preach a million verses to someone? I'm saying, is there something on the inside of you that compels you to say the freedom, the love, and the forgiveness, and the grace that you have received? Now the Bible commands you to freely take the responsibility to give that to others. Do you have a call from within? Do you have a call from without that others are looking to you? You may not even know it. Paul has a dream. The, Paul the apostle has a dream. And in this dream, because we dream about what we think about, he has a dream about a man in Macedonia, a godless part of his world. And the man in Macedonia is crying out for help, crying out for someone to come and preach the gospel to him. That's what Paul was dreaming about. He was dreaming about someone that doesn't know God, doesn't know God's love. And he was dreaming about whatever they're seeking or searching for. They're actually praying that someone would come and help. When people put needles in their arms and they put crack pipes in their mouths and they're in every imaginable sin and they're really crying out that somebody would have a dream to see that they're searching, they're looking, they're hungry, they're, they're thirsty for something that you and I have already found. Do you know that there's a call from beneath that hell is pleading and working overtime to reach our loved ones. Do you know that? Do you know that the Bible talks about a rich man who was in hell and his prayer was God send someone to go tell my family? There's a call from beneath and there is a call from above. The Bible says if you want to be clear about what heaven rejoices over. If you want to know what causes heaven to stand up on their feet. If you want to know what causes heaven to put their hands together and rejoice and clap and celebrate, it's when one sinner comes to salvation. Just one. And I think we should have times in our life where we say, okay, God, I'll work with you. I'll stand in the gap. I'll mend the hedge. I'll be a human ladder. I'll be the person that reaches across and lets someone through my life, my efforts, my prayer, my faith, find their way to the loving forgiveness of our Father in heaven. In closing, Samuel and Susanna Wesley had 19 children. I guess Susanna had 19 children. Eleven of her children died in infancy. Samuel was an Anglican pastor in the small town of Epworth. One night, an angry church member set fire to the parsonage. Fortunately, Wesley's, the Wesleys were awakened by the blaze and were able to rush their children out of the house to safety. Once they were outside, they realized that somehow they had miscounted. 
Youngest Wesley, who was five years old, was still in the house. They looked up and they noticed he's standing in an upstairs window. The fire raged throughout the house and the boy looked helplessly down at his panicked parents. It was far too much of a drop for the boy to jump. The house was so engulfed that no one could go in and hope to come out alive. One of Wesley's neighbors noticed the young five-year-old standing in the window. And so he rushed over to the house, standing directly beneath the window where the boy stood. He placed his hands on the side of the smoldering house and another neighbor saw what he was doing, rushed over, climbing on top of his shoulders, placed his hands on the house. Another neighbor did the same, another one did the same and they repeated this until a human ladder had been formed and the last man smashed the window to bring the five-year-old out of the raging inferno. Susanna Wesley told her son, Surely you're the brand plucked from the fire. How could those men know that when they were building that human ladder, risking their lives, that they would end up saving John Wesley, the father of the Methodist movement? How would they ever know or comprehend that from this fiery preacher's mouth, countless nations would be influenced for the kingdom of God? Would they ever understand that his preaching and teaching would influence the world and Christianity as we know it. You see, the church has always been built on human ladders. Jesus passed it on to the apostles. The apostles stood on his shoulders. The early church fathers stood on the shoulders of the apostles. Down through the ages, countless men and women have sacrificed and died, bridging the gap, becoming a human ladder for others to find their way to Christ. That human ladder has extended down through the ages to the Reformation, to things like the Azusa Street Revival. And finally, it is here in this room today, a place called Seven Hills. And we're here gathered, having to answer the same question that every generation has had to answer. God's looking, he's surveying the planet, and he's saying, can I find someone that will stand in the gap? Can I find someone that will mend the hedges? Can I find someone that will reach over and grab the, grab the hand of this person and, and each one grabbing the hand and making sure that we're doing what we can do to be a human ladder so people can co- continue to come into the loving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, as a church, I think it's interesting that whenever my job is to do a couple things, my job is to, not just to teach you what God wants from us, but my, my job is to spur you on to what God wants you to actually do. And as a pastor, it's one of the funniest jobs in the world because most of the time, the most resisted messages in the church are the messages that actually reach the most people. And people immediately say, well, if you are saying, go reach lost people, it's because you want a big church. And I'm like, I think that's kind of behind us a little bit. I think the bigger question is this, that if you knew what was on the other side of preaching sermons like this, this is actually how you shrink a church. Because people by nature are about themselves. And whenever you start saying, hey, don't be about you, be about them, especially religious people, they don't like that. Right? And when you go reach lost people, lost people don't know what to do. Lost people don't know what, they don't even know they're lost. So it's actually the opposite. If you want to be a church that trades sheep, 
right? You know how you, know how you do that? You just trade sheep. You just, you just become better than the guy down the street. You become better as a church, and then you compete with the guy down the street, whoever they are, whoever that guy is, and then you trade sheep. And I get it. People come from different churches for different reasons. But we've never been the kind of church that tries to cater to people that left that church and now they're at this church and they'll be here two years and they'll go to that church for two and then they're going to go to this one and then go to that one. And the reason they're always going to go to the next one is because something about that church that wasn't all about them. And we say at Seven Hills, we've drawn the line in the sand a long time ago. And if you want to be clear about what we're about, it's a man named Jesus, a place called Calvary and getting as many people to the cross as possible. We will not cater to people that already know who he is and his love. But what we will do is we'll spur you on and say, hey, God's looking for people that will stand in the gap. That's what he wants. That's what his call is.